In the holy name of Jesus, amen. In the early church, they loved people who wanted to join them so much that the new members class lasted for three years. If you wanted to join the church, a sponsor would bring you to study with the pastor, then he would pray with you and teach you and help you learn about the faith. And finally then, you were brought to the church on Easter vigil. At the vigil, you would be baptized and also receive the Lord's Supper for the very first time. And all of that would happen in one night. And then, although you had been studying for three years, the pastor would ask you to stay for another week. He would say something like, I know it's been a long time, but there's so much more to learn and so much has changed during this service. We really need to help you pack it all in and understand what it is that just happened. Every year, Epiphany is like that for all of us. We sweep down out of Christmas as if we know all about Jesus, his incarnation, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, that he is for us and not against us, that he loves us dearly and forgives us. But then we are held for another eight weeks during the season of Epiphany so that Jesus can explain exactly who he is and exactly who we are. Here is what we know so far. First, Jesus is here. The confession of the church begins with Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is here with us in flesh and blood. We have seen him preaching in the synagogues and calling 12 disciples and gathering followers and making himself a church here on earth. He is a good friend and a good God, and he sticks by us through thick and thin. Second, we have seen that Jesus is change. Jesus is here to change things. And so there's water become wine, and then last week, empty nets that become full. But more importantly, Jesus is here to change people. He's here to change us, to change you and to change me. Teaching us and curing us and casting out our demons and forgiving us and righting our wrongs and making all things new. Third, we've also learned that Jesus is happiness, but it is a strange sort of happiness. We caught a glimpse of it at Cana, full blast, where jars full of water became jars full of wine and everyone went from being sad to being happy. But you remember that all of that was predicated on St. Mary's very last words in scripture. Do whatever he tells you. And when everybody did, life was full and the happiness went on and on and they were all together in this strange and wonderful place under Jesus' care. It worked the same way at Capernaum and Galilee and it still works that way today for you and for me with his words and with his deeds. In his community, this church, his kingdom here on earth, life is good. It is very good. It is blessed, as the text says today. 
as we are loved and forgiven and protected, but also hemmed in and bonded together and soothed and nourished by all that Jesus says and all that Jesus does. We've come this far, but we're not done. We know that Jesus is here and Jesus is change and Jesus is happiness, but perhaps you also remember what happened in Nazareth. Jesus had a very bad day. Before he could finish preaching his very first sermon, he was interrupted and the crowd cried heresy and they took him out of the synagogue and tried to toss him off a cliff and kill him. And then there is us. While we may not be crying heresy today, I suspect that the gospel that was just read makes us uncomfortable. No matter how much we think we've learned about Jesus from his baptism at the Jordan, through Cana and Capernaum and Nazareth, and at the Sea of Galilee, no matter how much we have liked it, the gospel for this morning comes as quite a shock. All of that talk about the poor and the hungry and suffering. And if you read St. Luke's gospel, he carries on. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Turn the other cheek. If you're robbed, give twice what the robber asks for. And when you lend your stuff, don't ask for it back. And at the end of the day, even if all of that happens to you, count it as a gift and a blessing. And wake up the next day and do what the Lord bids, loving other people the way you would like to be loved. How are you going to make sense of all of that? Epiphany, this green growing season of the church, is about to give way to the purple and penitence of Lent. But before we go there, there is one more thing to learn. Jesus is not just presence and change and happiness. Jesus is also challenge. Jesus even takes sides. This may not be the Jesus you are used to, but read the text for today. Jesus blesses some things but Jesus also curses other things. In fact, today he even curses people. Cursed are the rich, the well-fed, the pleased, and the popular. They've had their day now, and they certainly will not have it later. And suddenly now we meet a Jesus who is dangerous and disruptive. Suddenly we learn that his incarnation is more than a manger. It was an invasion, and he's declared war on the way the world is. It's no wonder that in another seven or eight weeks he will be dead. So now it comes to us. I was wondering if this is what you signed on for. Is there really not enough danger and disruption and contention in your lives at home? You need to come here for this? And yet, if it's still epiphany, then Jesus is still explaining who he is and who we are, still painting a picture of his church on earth, describing his work and telling us about his community, his kingdom, 
which he's busy today building and shaping and growing and giving, given to us as gift. This text is often called the Beatitudes, which means happiness or blessing. But perhaps that can be stretched a bit even to mean what is beautiful. At every step along the way this epiphany, Jesus has been disruptive, and his presence has made changes that we don't always like. And now we discover that even Jesus' notion of beauty is a challenge to us and our world. What is beauty? Care for the poor and food for the hungry and consolation for the weeping and standing by what is true even if it means that you will be reviled and excluded and hated and perhaps even put you on a cross. What is beauty? Jesus is beauty. In addition to all the other things he is, Jesus is beauty, and Jesus is the Beatitudes. This may not be the sort of blessing or beauty you thought was coming, but it's obvious that if you follow Jesus, some or all of this will happen to you. Follow Jesus, and like him, your life will become a challenge to the world, and then the world will challenge you back, even to the point of death and resurrection. Please do not let this text slip through your fingers. This text often prompts practical questions. Okay, I'm rich, but if I give everything away, how will I pay my employees and care for my wife and my kids? Or, I'm full, do I really stop eating? Or, I'm strong, do I really turn the other cheek? And if I do, don't I give way to evil? And if I give way to evil, doesn't that allow society to collapse all around me and let evil win the day? And then so often in the church, with those sorts of questions, this text is simply ignored. The questions are legitimate, but using them that way at best feels like a dodge, because those are not our problems. Our problem is not that we are over-loving our enemy or over-feeding the poor and hungry. Let's engage the problems that we've got. Let's allow Jesus with this text to bring us to the point of spiritual reflection about who he is and who we are and who we are meant to be. Let's listen to Jesus and watch his work, especially his work with the poor and the hungry and those who are unconsoled. Let's check ourselves and see what is the most we can do in love for God and service to our neighbors. Let's pay attention when the capital campaign asks us to engage in spiritual exercise, 
and offers the possibility for spiritual discipline. And together, let's see the blessing and the beauty in Jesus' way of being God with us and for us. It is uncommon and it is a horribly risky way of being the church, but it is what Jesus asks from us as his disciples. In his holy name, amen.